I'm Rob Petrozo. I'm the co-founder and chief product officer at Rally. And I'm panicked about Howard with a backwards hat and a full biker outfit on right now. friend are you panicked always to a degree we never actually have talked about this canute have you ever panicked you know i, I panicked the last time you panicked? i panic on a daily basis was whether you're going to show up on time for our podcast recordings God, stuff like that boy your life is easy if that's what you're panicked about <laughs> i panicked every time i look at my own stool just to check color and form <laughs> oh we're there again huh? all right by the way i'm in a lot of trouble at home because of your editing prowess well, you know, I leave the juicy bits in. Yeah. Well, guess what? You got to be more careful. All right. Today, special guest, a good friend of mine who who runs a company called Rally. Okay. And and Rob, who we're going to have on the show, thinks he's interviewing me for his new podcast, uh, which is great. But I'm also, it's the first Panic with Friends double podcast. So right. I'm on their show. He's on my show. So it won't be the same format, I think, that everybody's used to because I'll be talking, unfortunately, a little bit more. Uh, but Rob at Rally was building one of the, with Chris and Max and, and uh, Georgia building really is 50 people now, is building one of the uh, great, both speculative and cultural investing brands. You know, kind of, I call it, you know, when I first met them in 2000 and um, maybe 17 when I invested, it's about five years ago, I said, this is like um, supreme of investing. Robin had commoditized the transaction and, and GOAT, and StockX are about like buying and selling shoes and, and cultural things, but no one's truly built the art of like investing as a brand. And in the way that Supreme, even though I'm not Supreme, in the way that Supreme or Kith or some of these cultural brands have built, you know, clothing and fashion empires, I think that investing needs that type of cultural a trusted place where you can go and speculate and see cutting edge stuff and participate in small amounts. So you get your your action for $100 instead of your life savings and really kind of learn how to invest. And, and I think Rally's the closest to solving this, which you know makes it exciting and stressful and fun. And it's fun because my daughter works there too, can you think I, I know that. that. That's awesome. And so you know we've got a lot at stake here, including my sanity. But I want to welcome Rob to show, so let's dial him up. We'll do it. What's up, Rob Petroso? What's going on, man? What's going on? I'm, I'm happy to have, I'm glad that we got to do this little like collaborative episode today because there, you're one of the people that I think everybody at Rally recognizes like a personality around the platform. But at the same time, I feel like I'm getting the real you right now too. This is like a regular phone call we would typically have for everybody to listen to. Yeah. I mean, I just went biking, so I'm in a pretty good mood. I had five milligrams of Adderall for just to get the edge nice. and a cup of coffee. So if this goes on 40 minutes, we'll have to break for a poop. All right. So you're completely shot out of a cannon and everybody got the real Howard no. right out of the gate in the first minute and a half. 10 milligrams shoots me out of a cannon. Five is a nice slight. Ooh, something's going on. Gotcha. So let me ask you this. When you, and I'm, I'm going to jump into a question because that opens the door a little bit too. You're, you're somebody who's made some legendary investment decisions. I don't say that, I don't say that mildly. You are like, you've been a mentor, just one of these guys around us who 
really always has a, a key and a keen eye for what's going on the next on the next sort of wave, what's around the next turn. Are investment decisions for you today dictated by the mood that you're in, or is it still something that's like a data-based decision for you? Are you thinking about it the same way you were five or 10 years ago? Hmm. I mean, that's a great question. Generally, I, I mean, we're a much different firm in that we're older and we've seen the goal line. You know, we've danced in the end zone. We've, we've dropped passes. You know, I like using sports analogies because it's like sports, except without the contact. You know, money's our contact, so we'd smack our forehead and go, oh. So, you know, I appreciate the, the legendary thing. You know, I was watching, I got to answer the question eventually, but I was just watching Netflix do a great idea by comedians who are, who are finally fighting back on woke culture with, uh, they just created their own award show called Hall or The Hall. Mm. And, um, you know, they're, re- they're recognizing people for like, well, they're dead, unfortunately, but there's a lot of great dead comics, but they're recognizing people for like their longtime body of work. And I think when you're going to invest, um, you know, there's bull markets and bear markets. So I've been through a few. So you want to be kind of recognized for getting things right for more than just one cycle. So I think, mm. you know, what we're proudest about at Social Leverage and, and, and what I'm happy about is that my curiosity, you know, that made me a founder also gave me the domain expertise, you know, to bet on things or to make investments early stage. So what it comes down to is people, you know, first time I met, you know, Mike Lazaro, we hit it off kind of like a combustion, Brett Wilson at Two Mogul, uh, Andrew at Ticketfly, and uh, Baiju and Vlada Robinhood and Yoni at Toro and and um, I'm thinking of, of Todd Davis at LifeLock, and then when I met you and Chris and Max at Rally Road, for example, is always like a kismet. You know, you have to be turning over rocks all the time and be curious, but in the end, you run, you bang into people that just go, okay, like they know what they're doing, they have domain experience. I know what I'm doing in that I think this trend is massive because I'm in the middle of it myself. And let's get out of each other's way and see how big it gets. The The difference in 2022 and 2021 and 2020, when we hit 2020 and we hit the wall because of COVID and the market panicked, um, it was like a car crash like in the markets. It was just like... Hmm. You know, what we we haven't had a pandemic. So it's like, well, everybody's fighting about like what the pandemic's going to cause monetarily and financially. The market crashed and the country closed. And we had we had a warning um, because we saw the Chinese markets close, but we kind of we kind of disregarded it for 60 days. So so coming out of that, coming out of the crash, we all kind of checked our, 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 our heads and our shoulders and our hands and our feet and go like, fuck, we're not dead. Um, and then the government printed a shit pile of money and we were connected by Slack and Zoom and, and, and Twitter and start, whatever we were connected by. So like almost business as usual. And so the, the difference now over the last 20 years is just the valuation. There's more people doing it. There's more people that think they can do it. There's more mentorship than ever. So I think the prices got out of hand. So where we're different today, long answer is that there's lots of great founders, but there's a lot more noise. And then there's, it's a lot harder to do the price discovery because everybody thinks they can be a unicorn. So that was a long, <laughs> yeah. that was a long answer. Hopefully I answered 
part of the question. Nah, you, you, you didn't. I, I started off with, a, with like a very roundabout question, but I'll say this. During COVID and the beginning, you and I talked a lot about the state of the market and what we were doing at Rally and what the overall sort of temperature was like. You were you never you never once talked about it like it was this, this once in a generation black swan event. Like a lot of people were talking crazy at that point too that it was the end of the world and that no markets were going to recover and nobody saw that crazy turnaround happening. But you weren't. That was like this quiet time where a lot of people were kind of building in the background and some of those companies are coming out now. But now you're in that situation where like a lot of VCs are on Twitter and they're saying, you know, everything's got to tighten up right now and that it's not the same as it was and the valuations are crazy. And to me, you and I have talked about this, there's this feeling of like a lot of the same people who were chasing those crazy clubhouse type deals during COVID and the $4 billion and $5 billion pre-revenue valuations, which were getting crazy. Those same people now are saying, whoa, founders, you got to slow down. You can't, be, you can't be trying to grow your business. Is there a place to still focus on growth and focus on revenue? Or is it really like a tighten your belt type situation right now and stop, stop the presses, stop spending money on your business? Yeah, that's going to be the ultimate question, right? Is, is, is what every founder's difference. You know, I was talking to Koifin, which has an incredible product, but like, you know, do you have to grow through this or do you have to survive? Like Wall or yeah. with you, like uh, Otto, um, Otis or whatever they call it got acquired. They got acquired because they ran out of runway, hmm. in my opinion. So so if you run out of runway, so so part of this is going back to the playbook in, two, in, in 1999. You know, we were investors in a company called Viva.com. And they basically fired 160 people, Scott Ingram, uh, bought the domain name rent.com in 2001. And, and all the competitors in the like rental uh, marketplace went out of business. So when eBay bought them for 400 hmm. million, it wasn't so much that they were first, it was that they survived the crash. And so survival matters more than growth at certain periods. And you know, being a startup isn't glamorous. So now those that survive come out stronger. You know, at Stockton, we've mm. been through a few bear markets, so we've seen this. Um, I get excited for bear markets. As long as you go into the bear market in a better position than the last bear market, I mean, that's how the, that's how business cycles work. You're not going to keep all your money at the top um, because you can't go to cash at the exact right time. So for mm. companies... It's more about knowing what your industry, you know, who your competitors are in the industry, knowing a little bit about how they're thinking about things, but really understanding your own business and talking to your investors and saying, hey, listen, if this is going to last 12 to 18 months, uh, let's make our cuts right now. Uh, history says, you know, Fred Wilson had a post like, you know, 12 to 18 more months. So, so based on people who have been through this before. Let's go with what the experts who have been through this before. Let's make our cuts now. Let's get through this and worry about growth when everybody else starts worrying about growth or when we see pure growth ahead of us. Now, we can't force growth in a bear market. So part of it is like make the cuts early. Don't force things. But if you are growing, that's crazy. Like, you know, you got to grow and you got to have investors around the table that understand that. But since this is like back and forth, I want to now throw one back at you on Rally Road. Yeah. Um, what year now are you guys into Rally Road? How many years is we're that? At, uh, we're like five and a half right now, give or take. So five and a half, it's 2022. The world has, has changed again. You know, I don't mm -hmm. think when you started the company, the crypto was 
something and, you know, you were going through the SEC, you were doing it a much different way. What's the biggest change in 2022 regarding culture and what your audience wants? What what has switched the most? Because the company started out as cars and now you just did an Andy Warhol. So tell me yeah. like what the culture and, and appetite for risk is out there and what, what people see and want. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a it's a complex question that I was going to ask you. So it's actually a good way to segue into this conversation. We've always been lucky, I'll say this, to have people like you and, and Greg Bettinelli and some of the smarter, what I consider like really smart conversational marketplace investors around us. And they've seen the cycles. You've seen so many of these cycles right now. A lot of stuff that we haven't before we started Rally. When we started, ICOs were like the craze. And oh. as we were going through the first SEC cycle to get the first couple offerings approved of cars, you know, it wasn't that dissimilar to now where everyone was like, why don't you just do an ICO? You could raise $70 million of non-dilutive capital. And it was like, yeah, that makes a little bit of sense, but this is way unproven. And then we have to move the company to the Bahamas and never come back. And you can't bring money into US banks. And there was a whole element around like, having to do it with KYC and do it the right way and go through the process. Mm-hmm. Now, five, six years later, the big difference that we've seen happen is that people were talking about community that whole time, but now it's real. And I just talked about this last week. I was on a panel and they were asking like, what was different? My generation, when we came up, it was really like you looked at that meme of all the garages where IBM started, where Apple started. It was like you and a couple of buddies in a garage just tinkering with some stuff and it becomes a company. Right. And then that started to develop and it was a situation where it was like, all right, now it's in a coffee shop. And that's literally where me and Chris sat down in a coffee shop on 35th Street and like sketched out what this would be in 2015. And that was how the businesses started. But now it's like you have an idea and you have like three or four people who believe in it. They're distributed all over the world. In 48 hours, you put the product out. I could spin up a DAO and raise 10 million overnight from people who are, you know, tech empathetic and understand crypto. And all of a sudden have a business out of the gate with a community that cares about that's going to spend money on it. And it distributes so, so, so quickly. That's the major difference. So now when we think about other asset classes we go into, the time frame from something being a trend to being relevant, not just now, but in the future is so much tighter now. So when we think about going into like an NFT project or you know real estate or art or whatever it is, it's like if we find the right thing right now and the audience is ready for it, you got to pull that trigger immediately. You can't wait for someone to tell you like now is the right time because that doesn't exist anymore. And so how did the Andy Warhol come to you? So we were, we wound up purchasing that, I believe we purchased that, I don't think it was at auction. I could be wrong. So don't, don't quote me on this, but we always look at things where it's like, if it's again, relevant right now, it's one of the bellwethers in the space, which in this case, Andy Warhol, super recognizable, but also was coming up on that auction a couple of weeks ago where that Marilyn, the original, the specific one that, that our silkscreen was based on, um, that's an addition of you know, broke a record for, for any US-based artist selling any painting at Whoa. any auction or any private sale. So we talk about like numbers, $180 million, $200 million paintings from somebody who's recognized worldwide and it's around the same time we want to release this offering. That kind of checked a bunch of boxes for us. So for us, it's like $170,000 painting, the one that we have, the print that we have on Rally. Even though you might recognize the artist, you see the headline somewhere, that's still a huge chunk of money for a regular person to come out of pocket for to get the best version, to get an edition version of it. So Warhol was going to make sense. Art was a space we wanted to go into. We weren't going to go for the top of the market and do you know a $100 million painting out of the gate, but also something that's relevant now, has an auction that's upcoming, that's going to be relevant in the future. It was a no-brainer for us to start there, basically. And like you know Warhol. like you, If you ask anyone on the street, name, you know, name 10 artists, 
Warhol is going to be in every single one of them. I mean, I'm guessing right now, but Warhol is going to be in all of them. And you'll talk Da Vinci and whatever else. Like people will name the Ninja Turtles and then name Andy Warhol, basically, you know, or like maybe Basquiat. So that's always part of the decision making process for us, too, is make sure regular people recognize it, you know? Yeah. And 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 car brands, definitely. Book authors, definitely. Certain types of watches, definitely. Um, and you're right, Warhol, even though I guess I'm a fan, I mean, cont- I'm a fan of contemporary, so I'm a fan. I, I, so, so you collect art though, too. Like you collect the things you like, your house is full of things that you like. And when you make correct. money on them, it feels like a check mark. You know what I mean? So what's the future look like? I mean, you guys are at the, in Soho at the tip of culture. I mean, obviously I'm a huge fan of you, Chris and Max and uh, George. Uh, how many people are you today? Uh, we're getting close to 50 now. So you're getting close to 50. What does the world look like post this, you know, crypto bear market? We don't know if it's a winter or it's a bear market. Um, you know, DAOs that you, you briefly mentioned, let's let's quickly go through it. It's like an LLC, but on the blockchain, you know, like you said, it's built in community and passion and money and commerce right in you're buying every you're getting everything all in one as soon as you launch it's not like an invest you first you got to get the investors then you got to get the the passionate users then you got to get the sellers and the but you know build the marketplace this is like if there's a is something that everybody likes and there's a community around it you can get up and go with the doubt yeah so what does the world look like as we come through this what's like the thing that matters most is it is it brand and culture it's hard for me to say it's not i mean it every again it's the same thing we're talking about now. Everything is, the timelines are so much tighter. So like we've talked about 2008, 2009 at length, you and I over the course of the last, you know, three, four years, let's call it. Yeah. And it sucked and it felt like the end of the world. But, you know, the idea of like taking down Melvin Capital didn't exist in 2008, 2009, like for a kid that didn't, that didn't even make, it wasn't even a thought process. To right. The they were doing Occupy out. Wall Street. The parents were doing exactly. Occupy yeah, Wall it Street. Was a, it was protests, you know what I mean? It was yeah. like, and Wall Street wasn't even the problem. Really there were good people point. behind really Wall Street point. that were the problem, you know? Yeah. But that's also, to me, what's going to happen now is that the invest in things you care about thing makes sense automatically out of the gate to like a 19 or 20 year old, no question. And that could be anything, but they have the ability to sort of tell the value story on their own now too. So if there's a space that we're not thinking about, then and we have a 19 or a 20 year old and groups of those people on rally who want us to go there, that's a space that we go to because like the way I think is way different than the way Chris thinks, than Max thinks, than George thinks or Fitz thinks or anybody at rally or Rachel thinks. So we're always trying to sort of, I'm, I'm not, I'm a dinosaur at this point. If there's something that I love, there's a chance other people don't, but there's a good chance there's a niche that people care about it. We go into all of those because the future to me, when you think about brand, as I get older, I've realized this, and I don't know if you agree with it, at a certain point, the things that we want to spend our money on and we want to invest in, it's only, it's two things. It's either the, trying to buy the fountain of youth or trying to like do good and feel good about the money that we're spending. So if you're doing those two things, it's a mix of nostalgia. It's about doing something that benefits a bigger part of the culture. It's about trying to make decisions for the future, not just for you, but for the people around you. All of that means if I'm walking down the street and I see something that I feel like it's worth making an investment in, you should be able to make an investment in that. And there's probably a group that cares about it. And that's like, you know, easily connecting thousands or hundreds of thousands of people to make those investments. And it's not just the easy stuff like art and real estate. It's the stuff no one's thinking about. So that's the space that we want to be in, basically. Yeah, I like that. I really like that. It could, and, and it is true. This, this bear market 
and it is a bear market, but I can't tell how bad it is because I'm so narrow. And so, uh, you know, yeah. my group of people feels it more than, let's say, the energy people are partying. Um, <laughs> you know, the commodity people are like thinking about growth. The people with capital are thinking about how to deploy it. It's the people that kind of that got run over here is a is is a pretty big swath of people. But it was a lot of new money and it was a lot of money that no one will miss because they were yeah. only going to spend it on frivolous things. So this will affect all of us in the sense that, you know, appetite for risk shrinks a little bit. What's different about this 2000 and 2009 is, is the banks, first of all, and the, and the, and the um, private equity people are, are flush. Everybody's raised money. Um, Goldman, back in 2008, had to be saved by Warren Buffett. This time, they're licking their chops. Mm-hmm. Same with J.P. Morgan. You know, they're they're just getting into crypto. <clears throat> they just, uh, you know, Jamie Dimon, who's been bad mouthing crypto, said it's like for their high net worth people, crypto's uh, more important than he, than real estate. He was estate. about to disown his children, and the, he was saying literally anyone on the trading desk who's trading crypto is getting thrown out of the building. That was not that long ago. Yeah, you can never tell with these guys. I don't trust any of them, but you know, now they're in a position. <laughs> to say that it's more important than real estate. So this this has a floor. Like this is going to be interesting, much like COVID created the shortest bear market. I can't figure out this bear market because the banks are in, the last bear market that like was super painful, uh, the banks were in trouble. This time it's just dumb investors paying dumb prices and employees, uh, you know, fun employment or whatever you want to call it, like having three jobs and not going to work, <laughs> um, that fluff is gone, right? So now, now, so I don't, it's going to be a completely different type of bear market. What I was going to say about um, like the like the painting that just, the Warhol that just went on, maybe it goes deeper and it's like, well, let's go by the studio where Andy Warhol painted that and let's go, you know, let's yeah. go buy that. Or instead of the bat uh, that Babe Ruth had, why don't we just go buy his house uh, where it was so born. That, you're, you're, yeah, and you're jumping. You're, ju- you're in our roadmap right now, and I can't say exactly what it is yet. But in the next few weeks, the going deeper on the things that we realize people really care about, yeah. and doing the ancillary pieces around it, not yeah. just the art or yeah. the one piece, right. is exactly where we're going. Right, but like that, Gary V. Like I'm, I'm not going to buy Gary V's art, but if he cuts off his ear, uh, and I'm not saying Gary V should cut off his. <laughs> And I'm not saying Gary, but let's get this in front of Gary. But Gary, if you cut off your ear, I may take a piece of that, but I'm not going to buy your squirrel drawing. Dude, and everybody's entitled to that opinion. And I (laughs) I realized it in Minnesota. It was crazy, right? I could not have predicted that people would show up for that. So this is speaking to to anyone listening. This is about VCon, which was obviously the, um, the, the big event that Gary Vaynerchuk and his team put on out in Minnesota based around the NFT that he did VFriend Series 1 last year. And then Series 2 came out. The ticket was an NFT. It was a, I've been to a lot of NFT conventions. I've been to Mm. a lot of like these type of talks. This was, when you say community, what they brought together were a bunch of people who they gave a shit and cared in a way that I have never seen. And this is not investment advice, but I've never seen a group that united just to meet other people in the space and literally be helpful as much as they possibly can. They all believe it. So for better or worse, when you bring these people together and NFTs or, or crypto, or whatever it is, is the connecting tissue. It's not the same thing as like a convention in Miami where it's all about money. These outcomes were way different. No one was even really talking about NFTs. It was really about what the future looks like. 
which it's hard for me to look at that and say, to your point where it's like, this time it'll be different. Everybody says that retail and these, what you would consider niche groups of retail have a voice now that I've yeah. never seen before. Do you think they matter in this moment in time where it really, it feels like it won't be like a 2008, 2009 because they buy the dips too. And like I said, like Melvin Capital unwound, like GameStop is still over 100. AMC isn't at 60 anymore, but it's still got a healthy multiple. Yep. Like Reddit won. Is that a one-time event? Or do you think that we see like that retail activism in the future is what props up a lot of stuff that well, probably would have gotten the rug It'll evolve. Say got bought. I was an investor and say got bought by Robinhood. Didn't really figure it out. Now there's a, I've gotten pitched 10 other kind of say.com uh, going after you know some of the some of the last standing monopolies in 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 Wall Street, you know, Coifin against Bloomberg. Even though you can't beat Bloomberg, there's actually ways to get eighty percent of what Bloomberg does. Coifin's for got free. a better product. Like Coifin has yeah. a better looking and better feeling product for a retail investor. No question. Correct. And now, you know, fundamentals didn't matter for five years, so no one had to use Coifin. All they had to do hmm. was like go on Twitter yeah, and see what their friends were buying and buy that. But man, this next, this is why you can't predict and you have to be patient with your investor and you have to kind of really have domain experience and hopefully we, the company is in a position to take advantage of this. But like sometimes you just have to survive and people don't know they need your product until something changes. Until like they need your product. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes like fundamentals just didn't matter. Comparing a stock to its comps and the other industry didn't matter. You know, eventually... The, all this data will have to happen for items on Rally Road and, and yep. crypto. So, so we're at the beginning of the beginning. That's why I think this bear market is 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 probably one of the best opportunities. What's different about this bear market? So, I'll, I'll, I'll answer the question you haven't asked yet. But what's different about this bear market is you know Russia, right? As small as the economy was, uh, they're pushing back, um, and it's it's dark. Like everybody's pulled out. China is dark. Like, yeah, you know, they'll be back. But how will institutions and retail treat Chinese Internet companies knowing that China can pull the plug? Right. Hong Kong was a place that was like my favorite place to go. Why would I go back? Um, so the world is the, the map. The risk map has changed. So. So unlike 2020, where everything was open, so you, you could just count China five years out as your market, that's gone. So like half the world is black to America. Hmm. And by black, I mean lights out. Like So when you put up a map of your growth, you're not going to convince me as a seed investor that China's on your roadmap or that Russia's on your roadmap. So, so half the world is dark to you. So this next boom will be completely different. And that's what people have to know. And, and that, that, that's where like valuations now probably get compressed the most is like, okay, guys, you, you have your 20 or 30 million valuation. But that was in a world where everybody thought they'd be the next Uber. And we've seen from Uber yeah. that, you know, even winning the U.S. is hard. And so, you know, come back to me with a sane number. And we're not there yet. That's where the reset seems to not be making sense this market is completely changed. And, and, and it's like for you, like with Warhol and with going down the deal. So, so how is that? Have you guys thought about that inside Rally Road? Like how is your audience dealing with the assets that they own? Yeah, I mean, it's hard. It's hard for us. Like I watch everything and I see, I, I listen to every conversation and I pay too much attention. It's from, from midnight to four in the morning. It's 
see what people are saying on Twitter about the general space and the health of the market and rally. But retail investments always going to be driven by emotion, and that's part of the that's part of the cause and the problem and the effect and the solution. It's all part of this bigger picture. Where as much as we as a company want to educate on the fact that emotion should live in one place and investment decisions should live in another, we also preach this idea that it is everything on rally is about emotion. So who am I to tell somebody that they're wrong? So we have like, you know a million different things happen at any given time. There's initial offerings, there's the secondary market, there's buyout offers, there's events and activations, there's merch. All of these have to live together. We always want like three out of four of those to be going well in a way where they're not even when I say ups or downs, just engagement and people that care about it. Because that to me is like the secret sauce of what we do that you can't replicate. It's not like we had the lead like the way when you saw Robin Hood early where it was like they were off to a head start, you know, a million people on a wait list before they launched. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, it's like the other brokerages are looking at them like, oh, that's that little guy. Don't worry about it. And now five years later, they're all rushing, race to the bottom, get rid of commissions, that type of thing. For us, like we came out and it took 18, 19 months to get the first offering approved because it was brand new to the SEC. And then it was about establishing trust. To me, the only thing we ever wanted to do is establish trust. That's independent of price. It would be great if everything went up and to the right always. But having all these things going on and making sure that people know what we're caring and thinking about what they want from the platform other than like just pure returns is what has been our secret sauce. It's hard to replicate that, you know? Yeah. It's like Chipotle's when I'm going to go long winded here, but it's like Chipotle's when they poisoned or, or food poisoned their people. It took two <laughs> years. I mean, it's still the fucking same burrito, but if it's you true. look at the stock price, it took two years for people to forgive Chipotle's right. Like, and so the same thing with Robin, here's the biggest thing about Robin hood and rally. You were built both mobile first. Robinhood yeah. and both of you guys are, are guilty or genius of this. Robinhood. We stole that from Robinhood because it worked. Like yeah, it yeah, worked, yeah. so we stole it from but, Robinhood. But you have a much more complicated product. What Robinhood got right and what everybody, the clones got wrong, and they're all going to just go by the wayside, including possibly FTX with their new launch, is Robinhood nailed mobile for the last generation. Not the next generation, the last yeah. generation. So let me let me just play this out for people who want to look for, because this is how I'm thinking about the world. Robinhood got lucky because there was an accepted order flow and UI for brokerage, green, red, black for market close, you know, markets open, markets close. The world's changed since Robinhood started. Now there's 24 yeah. seven and there's crypto, which even Robinhood didn't get right in wallets. But the, the, the looking up a chart, the, the price, uh, a watch list, Robinhood got lucky because they were first mover in a world that was looking to invest the E-Trade way. The sure. next generation, Robinhood and, and, and Rally, hopefully not, you, you guys figure this out and hopefully Robinhood does too, is going to look completely different. It will be powered by the same data, perhaps, but you know that's why we invested in Alpaca. But we don't know if the next Robinhood will look more like a voice thing or will look more like Reddit or will look more like TikTok and video first or lean back or look like, you know what I mean? We don't know what, because the watch list is the watch list. But once people have wallets everywhere, the way they do their transaction may look completely different than going to a brokerage yeah. like Robinhood and opening it up. And so I would say what both of you guys have to solve is... And what Coifin saw first and, and just finally launched mobile is desktop. Like Ramana could have acquired their way into desktop, but they're still a mobile product. 
Where do you guys think about desktop? Because Rally has a lot of stuff now. You've got three or four things going yeah. on. You've merch, you've got uh, uh, secondary trading, you've got the offerings. How do you guys think about desktop? Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a big shift, I think, not not necessarily in the way that we build product because we want to design across all platforms. But, you know, Andy and Alec and our, our product team right now is always thinking about the way to address markets that are kind of hidden. It's not necessarily about total addressable market. There's markets that we kind of created. The desktop trader, now that we have a more active secondary market and there's all this stuff going on, needs to be, you need to use that extra real estate. I think that that's like, the, it's, it's noon, I'm at work, I'm taking a little break to check my portfolio. That's a desktop experience to me. And I'm a little bit older now. I've always looked at desktop as like the in-between time. Whereas like on my phone, it's like I'm laying in bed going through my stuff. But the way we also think about it, you brought it up earlier, there's a data product that lives inside Rally and we're going to release way more of that soon. And like a 22-year-old does want like the equivalent of level two and like some advanced charting. All that has to happen on desktop. And it also gives you a little more real estate literally to tell better stories, which now that we have Correct. like a content team we're building out, we want it to look and feel like a TV screen more than to look and feel like, you know, a binary trading option like it does on on mobile sometimes. And that's to your point, what Robinhood nailed super early. They made it way easier to invest and they made the process in the UX way slicker. What we want to do is make it more meaningful. And to do that, you need real estate that allows you to do it with data Correct. and content. So that's where we're going to be at some point soon without giving too many details away. Desktop is something that you've Desktop's always brought going to up. be the new mobile especially for for yeah. wealthier kids and kids that have artists kids now who have taste and have say and have survived the bear market they want to lean back they've bought you know they can afford and desktops aren't the same as they were five years ago with yeah. the m1 chip and with the new apple screen now the new macbooks I, are crazy and yeah. crazy and so in five years everybody's going to have desktops around their house that's going to be they don't, they don't have tvs right now because that's their everything now but like the next thing is going to be a keyboard or voice in your lap and not the stupid contour or your cable thing but some kind of remote that controls your desktop which could be on every wall uh in your home because that is where you want to see. It. And this is where the banks are going to lose. Like I, I use Morgan mm. Stanley. And Morgan Stanley's desktop, which is what the company started on, is still shit. So they've spent yeah. the last 10 years trying to figure out mobile, which I accept. That's where I look up to see my net worth or my wealth on Morgan Stanley. But then I go to the desktop and I'm like, they forgot it. Like, not only was their desktop bad before, now they haven't invested in it. And it's terrible. Like, just, but, but also, it's, it's dude, it's the thing where it's like, Legacy banks in particular, everybody does this though. And I'll say this, that really early, you were always uh, talking about desktop. Greg from Upfront too, always talked about what we're going to be on desktop. Eddie Liu from Goat, who's also in the Upfront portfolio, would say like Greg's on them about desktop and now their desktop experience is killer. They use it for editorial. Uh But the biggest thing that I think about is like banks and legacy companies, they don't think the same way as like marketplace as we do. And is the way that that you guys have always been, been telling us like how important desktop is going to be. They think about it like kids are on their phones a lot. So let's make it mobile. And that's just, once you're thinking like that, once like a, once a 75 year old is telling, is telling you like, I see a lot of these kids on phones, let's put a whole thing on mobile. They probably already moved on. Like they're probably on, on 1980s era, you know, old Apple leases right now. And that's like their preferred method of, of ingesting information. If we're guessing and we're trying to say what kids do, then we don't know. So just doing contrarian and what but the we know what they do. Means. They're on TikTok. TikTok won 
I, I said this the other day, what I got wrong is I didn't realize how much TikTok had won because I thought, because nah, Trump said he was going to stop it and didn't stop it. And now they're 360 billion and they're, they're bigger than Spotify and, and Netflix combined. Um, not just Facebook. That algorithm murdered though too. Like you see it, you could scroll forever and keep seeing what you want to see. So that's it. That's the peak mobile. Yeah, that's peak true. Peak mobile happened. So like what people don't understand, I didn't know what the event was, but it's over the last few months seeing Netflix get obliterated and having to do TV ads now and seeing Spotify <laughs> get, who Spotify used to have to say, well, we're more like Netflix. Now is denying, they don't want to be associated it's at true. all with Netflix. So we hit peak mobile like in the last year. And surprise, and this is why Apple's probably held up the best. I don't think anybody wants to talk about this, but we are about to switch back to an enjoyment. There's so much great content and, and, and TikTok, unless you know government steps in and destroys it, TikTok won. So in a world where TikTok won and Facebook's fighting them and everybody's fighting TikTok, unless something new comes along in mobile, like a completely new type of product, the only way to compete against TikTok is on the desktop. Your wedge in is how do I trust? What does this brand give me uh, for all this stuff? So everybody was zigging. And now Apple with the desktop in the art piece is is ahead of the curve. So I'm really starting. To, I didn't know what the trigger was until I just read this post of how big TikTok is. And, and if you look at the market caps of the destruction, it's not just Snapchat. I mean, Snapchat's still in denial. Um, you think you think tick, you think TikTok took all just absorbed all of that market share? Well, they absorbed attention, and what I got yeah, wrong they about won the attention fight. You're right. What I got wrong about TikTok is I'm just not a user. So because I'm not a user, I go well. They'll never get me, and so I didn't understand the destruction possible to other market caps. When you take attention away from Netflix, Netflix was talking about gaming. They were talking about TikTok, but they didn't move fast enough. The reason I, I, I trust Netflix is he's survived this before. The reason I trust Spotify, yeah. I want to own those brands now, even though they look dead, is that Eck has survived before. Um, this is when you want to bet on guys who have survived before, if you're going to bet on anything. And so I think it's really important for both Robinhood and for Rally and all the, you know, and, and I've been bugging Rob at Coifin to go mobile for every, at least he finally checked that box, yeah. but you can't forget desktop. So I think that's one of the biggest changes. The other big change, and I talked to Yoshi at Alpaca around FinTech, is that he calls it um, the Empire Strikes Back. And he's a really smart kid. And he's really thoughtful. And what he and I have been talking about is if the banks are stronger than, if this doesn't spill over into a cascade effect of panic, and people walking away from their homes and leverage. I think it's confined to like the Carvanas and stupidity around cars and fringe stuff. Um, if this doesn't blow up, the Empire Strike Back is Goldman, JP Morgan, like with JP Morgan, even though they, their products suck, they're into crypto now. They're backing into crypto. Goldman Sachs is licking their chops about high volatility trading and, and they could go buy a hundred companies, failed fintechs. Nah, dude, that's the, that's the difference between like the hundred year plan and a startup trying to get bought in five years. Like Correct. it's not the same thing. They don't think about it the same way. They don't think about it the same way. So the fucking banks are in a perfect position to pounce and like, and they just watched for 10 years and all the fintechs and VCs just handed them broken companies that they can just <laughs> roll in again. So it's really important that the rallies and the, and the FTXs and the Robinhoods, the people that get through this with with balance sheets and with good 
with good domain experience really position themselves for what the banks are about to do. They're about to just weaponize themselves with the carcasses of, of broken fintechs. So keep your eye open for that. <laughs> so, I'm trying, man. That's a crazy one. So I, that's, and it's, it's, it's well taken. And it's also something like to go back to the, what you said when we talked about a lot during this whole episode is like, the, there's people, they can watch and wait those big banks. They don't need to make snap decisions based on purely emotion. Like they've been through this three, four, five times at this point. They're not yep. going to mess it up. Yep. But also like, you know, as you sort of get to the end of this conversation, we talked through all these different things in the private and public markets. What do you think? We talked DAOs a little bit, but you have DAOs, SPACs, public investments, private investments, crowdfunding, all these things. What's the most interesting vehicle to invest right now outside of the standard methods? Do you have anything you're looking at where you're like, this is the one that's going to stick? No, I, like, I, I, what's tough for me is I have one trick, right? I know how the thing that I'm passionate about works. So, the, the, you know, by the time this goes out, and maybe it'll be breaking news because you'll release it ahead of me, the Dueling Podcast, is that, hmm. you know, what you guys got ahead on, or at least a, a little bit ahead on, a lot of people have, is, is regarding this DAO, which is a, a decentralized autonomous organization, which is like kind of an LLC on the blockchain where where everybody who's interested can be an investor and customer up front. So I'm, I think small, I've always said, you know, too small to, you know, too small to fail, focus on that. But small is the new big. Like if you're mm -hmm. passionate about something and I'm passionate about comedy, um, there is, there is opportunity out there to meld tech with the experts in a community, with money, with commerce and with marketplaces. So we're starting to see that, we're starting to see the tools built to get this stuff whipped up first. You know, the first iteration is like a Discord page and a website. But man, I don't want to learn Discord. Um, I'm not <laughs> saying I won't or I won't be forced to do this. But I, my next passion is more about going like we did with stock twits, but more, more decentralized, a little more decentralized, more built on the blockchain, including NFTs, so that uh, builds community quicker um and so less centralized you know what i've learned from running stock twits is that on the same day people will call me genius as hitler so I, like i'll have two comments in a row one says man stock twits is genius and then the next comment is howard's hitler so so in a world where i'm either hitler or genius and i'm neither um there has to be a better way to go down the middle which is like, be more like, you know, not like the three bears, just be something for more people that is more um, indestructible and more open and a little bit more fair. And so NFTs meets DAO meets, you know, the right community. And for me, it's comedy that I'm working on is something that excites me. And the reason comedy of all the verticals interests me is because we've, you know, is there's so many great comedians. Um, they've been this pent up creative energy and not being able to be on stage, this complete counterculture of like anything a comedian says is now taken as gospel and they got to apologize for it 10 years later as if they're a politician. Uh, is there's, This is the right time for there to be like 100 George Carlins and I want to make sure I'm in on that because there's a lot yeah, of funny, so there's a true. lot of funny people on Twitter and, and, um, TikTok 
and dude and real. I was talking. I was talking to. I was talking to friends last week, and I was like, not to cut you off, but we were literally saying like George Carlin now would be as big as Chappelle. Like he would be the Chappelle of right now. He trends he more than alive, Dave you know? Chappelle. So it's crazy. And he's he was dead. just early. He was early to the party. And so was Richard Pryor. And this is what I was saying. Like with the comedy hall, you had. A Netflix show that no one's going to watch that had um, all the best people, four dead who were honored, and and it was Dave Chappelle, John Stewart, Pete Davidson, and what's her name? I forget. Recognizing Joan Rivers, who was a legend, who was the greatest. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they didn't have Johnny Carson in there, but they had Joan Rivers, Richard Pryor, um, George Carlin, and Robin Williams. Okay, there are thousands of those that many talented voices that were spawned over the last two years with endless content. And it's not Joe Rogan, even though he's popular, and it's not the people that you know today. And they've been tortured by the Me Too, yeah. by stupidity of their own part. No, no, don't get me wrong, but they're fucking comedians. They're the people, that's what makes America, America. That's what makes Germany, Germany. There's no stand-up comedians in Germany, and there's no stand-up comedians in China. Like we, our greatest thing is a sense of humor. So I think the pushback here, the explosion in creativity that you're seeing in TikTok and the fact that everybody's learned to tell a story in 20 seconds on their phone sets the stage for an explosion in humor. And I want to be in on that market. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to, uh, I'll leave the, I'll leave actual announcements to you. I won't get too far ahead of it, but I think you painted a picture. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, it's killed. You killed this. You can listen. There's never been, first off, the num, you know, the title of our podcast that we're dealing with is the best money I ever spent. Uh-huh. Right now, the most money out of everyone I know where it goes is always entertainment, but comedy more than anything else. Like, you can't walk into Comedy Cellar anymore in the West Village in New York. You just can't. Correct. There's a, a Saturday, you can't go near it. And then Tuesdays now, because like Chris Rock might show up, you can't go near those either. You know what yeah. I mean? So it's become And, and they're place. already ahead of this. Leave your fucking phone at the door. And by the That's way, it. Jon Stewart just bombed. His Apple show nah, is a fucking disgrace. And it I don't turn, care it turn, to say it. Comedy turned into religion. I'm a huge Jon Stewart fan. He fucking muffed. And <laughs> and Dave Chappelle's getting a little old. So the stage is set. They're honoring the past comedians. This goes, you know, we haven't had, I would love to say it's music, but sorry, there's just no good music. If Elish is like our new messiah, I miss classic rock. So music doesn't interest <laughs> me. And the musicians have been dead. There's, we haven't heard from any of them on any of these issues, on anything important. At least comedians during this whole thing with Trump and with Biden and with fucking, they're getting their heads taken off, but at least they're commenting on it. And the fact yeah. that George Carlin stuff from 30 years ago is so relevant will give comedians the confidence to attack the establishment. And I, and we got to preserve these comedians and we've got to fucking get their voices out there. But anyways, I think we lost the track. That's culture. That's America. Uh, I'll let you ask if you have any more questions for me. I got yeah. the la- I got the last four, but it's a good segue. Okay. So really, let's say let's say you got Carlin over here. I assume who's your favorite comedian? Who's like the actual? If you had to pick one and you had to listen to them on repeat for the next ten years, who would it be? I guess it would be Carlin, but I didn't like the special kind that just gave me too much information. I don't yeah. have a favorite right now. I want to like somebody, but I don't. I think COVID meets China meets the the crypto crash meets. TikTok meets comedy clubs opening. I just don't yeah. see fresh voices. And what's exciting is I want to discover, I want to laugh. I don't want to just thing. laugh. I want to laugh hysterically. 
Like I was That's a stoned. good thing, though, too. That's a good thing, too. And yeah. the closest that came to it is the Indian kid from Parks and Rec. He's very funny. Aziz. Aziz is super funny. And if yeah. I was going to work with anybody, it'd be him. His show was hilarious when it goes to Italy. And then obviously, even though he's getting old, his special was just phenomenal, was Ricky Gervais. And it drifted. So the yeah. first 20 minutes were fucking insane. Knut, you've got to watch it. It was so on point. <laughs> it was so like torch the earth. It was so protect Dave Chappelle. It was so like, fuck you, the audience. You stupid dummies. Like just calling people dummies and then yeah. explaining to them why they're dummies and then loving it is important. Uh, you know, it drifted and then the end was very good. So I say Ricky Gervais, top of the game. Dave Chappelle, even though he's old, top of the game. John Stewart, washed up. Um, we need another Johnny Carson. Dave Letterman, also old. Stop the show. You know, it's terrible. You're 74. Netflix needs to create that same show with somebody with talent. Like, Dave's funny, but that gig is old. No, no kids good, understand it's a good, his humor. It's a good format, though. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's a, a great good, format okay with the wrong format. host. And he doesn't know the guests. Like, this is stupid. Like, so. So, this, honestly, that's good, though. This is, yeah. a good, this is a good way to ask the real question, then. Yeah. There's a lot of investors around who've been in it for a minute. I'm not talking about Warren Buffett, even, even, even in private markets. You had to pick one for the next like hundred years of good decisions that start now. You can't say Fred Wilson. Who would it be? Who's the greatest investor right now in your mind? Yeah, I wish I knew. I, I you know, I I was super early in tech stars, and I thought that whole idea of like DeVry for startups was was a huge thing. So I still think like the tech stars YC model works the best. But now we're going an angelist, so we're going into a bear market. So I don't know what comes out of this best. There'll be some incredible new voices. I was an early uh, investor, and we've had them on the show a bunch of times, the um, multi-coin guys, Tushar and Kyle. They obviously understand crypto. You know, there's Chris Dixon. um, But the people that understand crypto and survive this probably have the best chance. Um, And then it's people that understand markets you know people that understand crossover are in a bear market and they've made huge mistakes from altimeter on down i've listened to them Mm. mia culpa and i've had money with the crossover people but i still believe in this idea of a crossover investor and i think the next breed of of altimeters and crossover investors that really understand private and public markets and and can really get the data and make good decisions will be great i think the biggest problem for the next generation of investors and crypto is part of this is that they can see the prices. One of the great things about mm-hmm. venture capital is not checking the price, not waking up every day and, you know, Rally has their problems, StockTwits has their problems, Robinhood has their problems. Companies have problems. And once you see a price, you're compounding the problem because your employees look at the price, investors get nervous, fear and greed sets in. One of the greatest things about this last generation until crypto was, and why everybody wanted to be a VC, was that you could think. You didn't have to worry about like, it's, God, no, at least no one knows the company is going through turmoil. Yeah. And, and the fact that crypto prices trade, I'm, I, I worry. And I think we're already seeing the negative effects of that. You know, the bad behavior, the cheating, um, the need for regulation. But once we get regulation and a, a set of rules, and hopefully we get that, That'll set the stage for the next generation of great investors. But right now, I'm in the show me state. I don't. I don't know who I who I really think is going to win. Um, mm. And right now, Warren Buffett's still winning, and I and I can't stand that. That was, that was an okay answer. I thought you were going to say Roger Ehrenberg. So I was. That's what I was waiting to hear. But well, he retired. 
So even though yeah, I talk well, to him all the time, he retired. I mean, all right. Fair, fair point. So he's a, he's retired twice on top. So yeah, it's people <laughs> like that and things that make Roger great is that he was just never too big. So I think, hmm. you know, and this goes to like comedy and stocks and niches and DAOs is like, you don't have to be a unicorn. And this is what I try and tell everybody's trying to raise money to be a unicorn. And I'm like, why don't you bootstrap it in a world of DAOs and raise a little bit of money and go slow and build a hundred million dollar business. And then everybody makes money. So until we get that mindset going, I'm, I'm pretty bearish. Last two then. The big miss, what's the one that got away with that logic in mind, knowing that it's it's a way longer race than just, you know, get money, exit, get it done. What's the one that got away for you? The one that was just teed up, because there was many that I missed. Twitter, you know, I missed, but at least I got it later. And uh, Zynga, I missed. The one that I missed that was just in my wheelhouse was Carta at a $4 million valuation. Hmm. Henry pitched me, and he couldn't close me. I mean, obviously, he tried. You know, it was presented as e-shares, four million valuation. Love the idea of, of, at the time, you know, 2013, 14, of like your cap table open on the internet uh, behind a paywall. Like just, you know, I knew companies were getting created so fast that Carta was going to, the idea of Carta was going to be huge. And the valuation was four million. Think about that in today's world. That's crazy. Okay, so there's two lessons here. First of all, it wasn't about price that I passed. It was that I didn't believe that he could execute in a world of angel lists. So I just completely muffed it. And Henry's still CEO. And I think it's last count $7 billion company. So, you know, my kids' trust would look a lot different if I had made that investment. <laughs> um, and that would have been in the same fund as Robinhood. And I know my friends at Elefund, and I'm an investor in Nate Rowland, early investor at Robinhood, their fund, you know, is Robinhood and Carta. So I know the numbers. And so I'm really bummed. I passed for the right reasons because I, I, I did all the work. I just didn't believe in the founder and I hadn't met him yet. And I passed. And I think Carta is such a great product for what it's its core uses that, you know, congrats to them. So that's a, that's a huge miss on my part. But the, I mean, listen, the fund that, that Robin Hood came out of is like a legendary fund that you guys yeah. have as is you guys did all right with that one. So I guess yeah. not the end of the world, but yeah. understood. And with that in mind, my last question, then I'll, then I'll leave it to you, whatever you, wherever you want to go with it. But talking about bootstrapping, you're talking about the element of luck that's involved with, with making these really great picks that turn into these generational businesses. You think venture capital as it exists right now, still exists in 100 years? Or do you think that DeFi and Web3 and these DAOs have a real chance to change the model? Do you think it still exists like that 2 and 20 or the idea of like a fund exists the same way it does now in 100 years or the banks have no chance? Yeah, it'll exist. I mean, the the question is who's the investor, right? Um, the question is what defines an LP and what defines reporting? Right now, like for tax reasons and for certain reasons, and for regulation reasons, you got to be accredited or have a certain, you know, super accredited now for, for fund to fund. So I think the fund will exist because it's the same reason why like 50% of Wells Fargo's customers still get a paper statement. So hmm. if I were to go out 50 years, I'd say venture capital, 100 years, I don't know, but 50 years based on the fact that Wells Fargo customers still want a paper statement, I would say venture capital exists. The question is, wh- who will be the LPs? Will they have to be worth a certain amount of money? And will there be sidecars that are on the blockchain that, that 
track the liquidity of the fund. So, so yes, they will, they will still be here. I just don't know if they'll be as popular. Just like SPACs have been around for 50 years, and as a feature, it's still a great thing. But in a world where DAOs and DeFi exist, maybe SPACs will still be a feature, but just for a select few people. Makes sense. That's why I didn't bring up SPACs. That would have been a whole other podcast. But that's all I got, man. That was, a, that was my only method of having a dueling podcast <laughs> that didn't go for three hours was to not bring up SPACs in any detail. Well, we, we covered a lot of ground. What I think we both agree with that there's plenty of opportunity if you cater to what investors want. And not everybody has to be a unicorn. Not everybody needs venture funding. And I think we got to remember that. And there's a million ways to skin a cat. So uh, I appreciate the time. It's fun catching up on the markets and, and uh, culture. How's Soho? Last question. How's Soho? It's good, man. Where I mean, it's also like it's been busy, but now it's busy in a way where it feels like, you know, Europe kind of reopened in a way that the summers are typically dominated in Soho by European tourists. Uh-huh. And now we're starting to see more of that. There's way more restaurants that I'm sitting in where, you know, the it's mostly people speaking Italian or French and less of the same neighborhood faces. So it feels like it's way busier with new faces the last like month and a half, two months. I think that's going to be the theme for the whole summer. Yeah, that's good. So people won't just get sick of looking at the same people every minute. Yeah, man. I, it's, ask Rachel, uh, we, we go out and grab coffee. It's like, I got to go to, we got to like, let's go to somewhere brand new. They haven't been in a minute. I don't want to see these same people. They don't want to see me anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm so excited for, for New York. But at the same time, it feels like they're still... Uh, some layover problems with crime and stuff. Like, what do you, do you feel safe or is it like different? Yeah, I mean, I've had like one or two odd run-ins like over the last three, four months where like for a minute it was kind of like, do I got to fight on the street right now? But that's always, I've been here for, you know, 38 years. That's not going to change. Like it's never not been that. Like I've been, I've been, I lived in in Brooklyn and and Manhattan for my entire life. I lived in Philadelphia for a little while. But other than that, like New York's always been like, that's part of the charm of New York is that anything can happen. Sometimes you got to like keep your head on a swivel a little bit though, no matter what. And then last thing, work from home versus office. I made Rachel, I remember working from home. I said, Rachel, she was like, Rachel, only six people are showing up at rally. I said, be the seventh. Um, so I'm still the old school dad that kicked her out of our house and said, get back to New York and go into the office. Even if you're just the seventh person, is there more than seven people now? Yeah, now, now. But I think part of that is that like, I'm not easy to work for. And Rachel will tell you that, obviously. And also, like, I think a lot of people on my team wind up in the office on the product team and on the marketing team because a lot of it is brainstorming and creative work. It's a little bit, to me, like, I want everyone to be happy and be productive. And wherever you work from, a majority of our team is is remote or semi-remote. Not very few are full-time in the office. I go in a lot because it's a few blocks away from my apartment, but I get I get more work done there. Anybody in our team that's in the office, when you have creative conversations, part of me still feels like maybe it's old school, but being in the room to throw ideas around with each other and do it less asynchronously, do it one-on-one or one-on-four or four-on-four, it feels way easier to get stuff done for me. So like, it's not a requirement, but it's nice to have two or three days with somebody who you're working on on creative stuff with in the office, you know? Yeah. I tell any young person, find out who your, where your boss lives, show up every day. Uh, COVID's it, it's over. It's an old school thing, but it does go a long way, man. Uh, it's the mean, only like- way to learn. It's the only way to be mentored. Kids are, are complaining that they're not getting mentoring. Guess what? Show up. Get mentored. It, Force man. mentorship. 90% of it is showing up. It's true. Especially if your company's in New York or uh, Los Angeles or Miami. Show the fuck up. All right. Dude, this, was, that's it. 
that was fantastic. Thanks for coming on. And I'm happy that I got to come on. What the name of your show? Nah, thank you. Thank you for coming on. The best money I ever spent presented by Riley, where we panic with friends sometimes. You know what I mean? Beautiful. All right. Talk to you soon, buddy. Talk soon, man. Canute, what do you think? Well, you know Rob really well. Rob's always great. Love it. And, you know, it's exciting to hear about his new uh, podcast. Yeah, I mean, listen, I know what I know, and this is what's great about podcasts. Like, I listen to Rob because he just understands culture, you know, and he understands, you know, building a brand. Lots of people do, but I'm seeing it happen in real time, and I'm learning stuff that I wish, which I'm applying to my new comedy kind of ideas. I'm not rushing. You know, Rome isn't built in a day, right. is what you learn. And I think this last generation was like, get me something on GoDaddy for six bucks. I don't care what color my logo is. Uh, I don't care what my site looks like, you know, it's about the product and product market fit. And now I think it's more about like, let's just make a great product and the market doesn't have to be infinity. You know, I know there's other people like me and we can build a great, you know what I mean? It makes sense. That's what kind of we were talking about. Anyways, you were listening to Panic with Friends, me and Canute. Uh, sometimes he doesn't talk. It's Canute the Mute. And uh, what do you call it? Canute the Mute. <laughs> Sometimes he doesn't talk, but we're panicking with friends. We are talking to investors, founders, traders, speculators, venture capitalists, entrepreneurs. Uh, just to get a little bit ahead of trends, you can search my name, Howard Lindzen, on Google, on Spotify, uh, not yet on Netflix, and uh, on Apple. And uh, see our podcast, Panic with Friends. Subscribe, and then you don't have to do anything. Once a week, you'll get an alert with our show. Uh, thanks, Doc Twits for sponsoring and we'll see everybody next week. Howard Lindzen is the founder and general partner at Social Leverage. All opinions expressed by Howard and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Social Leverage or StockTwits. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for decisions. Guests may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast.